Amen. I wanted to tell them just to keep going. Don't amen that too, too quick now. Easy. You're like, yeah, amen. Can the band just go the whole time? No, uh, yeah, it's a mixed blessing, isn't it? Yeah, it's like I want to say amen, but then you may realize you don't need me up here. And then you're like, what are we doing? Uh, no, uh, there's, there's a line in that song that absolutely, every time I hear it, it's just such a great reminder that there's, there's a tomb that holds no body. Like our Savior is risen. We don't have to go to a tomb somewhere and say, well, this is where Jesus was buried. And we know so because here's the box that has the bones in it. And we go there and memorialize that like so many do with religious leaders, founding teachers of movements. They go to their grave sites. They go to certain areas and they say, well, this is where so-and-so is. And we honor this person. And here's their grave marker. And we know they're buried here because guess what? Their bones are still in the ground. We can go to the garden tomb in Israel and and historians will tell you we think this is where Jesus was buried. We don't know, though, because he's not here. He is risen. And and so if you're here this morning and you're struggling in any way, feel the weight of something anyway, just remember your Savior is not dead in a tomb somewhere unable to help you. He is alive and living and active and moving through his word and spirit as Pastor Keith prayed. And he is effectually working in your life. And he wants to work in your life. And so, man, I'm so excited for that reality this morning. I want to take some time this morning, and I'm designating this in my notes. So before you get scared, and I'm going to start sharing some things, and you're going to be like, wow, this is some great information, but this doesn't sound like the beginning to a sermon. So it's going to maybe be 10 minutes or so of sharing, and then you're going to kind of wonder, well, now we're at 1120, and he hasn't even seemingly got to the introduction of the sermon yet. So just so you know, my notes reflect this time of sharing. Amen. So we're good. So if you had a crock pot going or whatever, you're fine. Okay. You should put that thing on low every Sunday morning anyway. Just know high on a Sunday morning for the crock pot, bad idea. Put a little water in there. You'll be fine. Um, I learned that lesson the hard way one time. Sandra asked me before work one morning. She left and I was leaving a few minutes after her and she said, can you start this pork loin or whatever in the crock pot? Of course. All I got to do is put it in there, put the lid on, hit go, and that's it, right? She goes, well, sprinkle some seasoning on there. I was like, easy, got this. Well, I'm sure she told me to put that quarter cup of water in the bottom. I'm fairly confident she told me that. And so when I got home from lunch, I was like, that doesn't smell right. Now, it wasn't burned or anything yet, but it was, (laughs) luckily, I was like, hey, the pork loin, she said, did you put water in? Sure. Yeah. Water. Mm -hmm. Yep. Sure did. Yep. Let me just gallon of water in there. Please save this. Please save this. Lord, I know you can do miracles. So (laughs) resurrect the pork. Okay. So, but no, I I do want to share just a little bit this morning. And, uh, how many of you guys noticed that the funds for floor was gone? Who noticed that that's all gone? Amen. So I I just want to share, because we've been doing this now for a while. So I didn't want to really do like a, like a separate meeting or anything. I want to share with the whole church kind of what the Lord's been doing over the last almost two years because so many have been a part of this fundraising and all of this. And so I felt the best time to do that would be on a Sunday morning and just share with the church what God has been doing. And so I want to share specifically about those things, but I pray you would know this is just one part of, of a praise report that we can continue to go for week after week after week of what God is doing in our church. And, and not because our church is better than any other church, not because our church has figured out the secret sauce on anything. It's because it's his church. And Wednesday night, we started going through um, the letter that Christ would write to North Goodland if he wrote to us like he did one of the seven churches in Revelation. And we started that off talking about two realities. If you weren't with us, I'll give this to you, and then you'll be caught up for Wednesday. He's the builder of the church, and he's the healer of the church. And that's who he is, because it is his church. And we covered that a lot with our church series here a few months ago. But as I think about this building of the church, he is doing things in our midst. Yes, physically with the building and, and funds and finances, but I believe he's building the church spiritually. And I, I pray, my prayer has been, since I've become the senior pastor here, that we would never grow in numbers without growing in depth. 
because I think our church at one time grew really crazy big in numbers, which was such a praise. And I believe God was in it, by the way. I'm not saying God wasn't in that. He was in it. I truly believe that because the gospel was being preached. Man, the word was being preached. So I believe he was in it. But I think some people saw the big number and forgot that with that needs to be discipleship personally and corporate. And we need to be growing individually in depth in Christ so that when we see newer people coming to church or our church growing, we can be that help spiritually to go and say, hey, let me walk with you and let's, let's grow in this. And so, again, God is in it, but this is just one example of that. So I don't want you to think, man, there, if you're with us visiting this morning or you're new with us, uh, this is just updating something we've been doing for a while. Um, we don't usually spend time in our Sunday morning service talking about things like this, but I do want to just give some information, which I'm so excited excited about. So um, we started raising money, uh, funds for floors, to replace the flooring in the church, which was in and has been in desperate need of repair for many, many years. Specifically, uh, most of the carpet in many of the areas, including in here, has been coming up. And about a year and a half ago, we decided we need to do something about this. And so actually two years ago, we started thinking about it. About a year and a half ago, we started raising the funds. Now, we, we didn't have to do fundraising for this. There were options that we could have pursued. However, we have felt as a church that as much as possible, and I understand it's not always possible. We carry a mortgage on this building, for example. That's not always something you can just spend, hey, here's a million dollars. That's just So some people made decisions to carry a mortgage, which whatever, it's, it is their choice and, or was their choice. And so we decided, let's, let's do this debt-free. That, that was our goal. Let's just do this debt-free. And I remember when we put those envelopes back there, I remember talking to Sandra and I said, do you think six weeks is long enough to raise the money? <laughs> she said, you, you might want to go just a little longer than six weeks. And I said, well, what are you talking about? I said, I'm sure we'll get most of this in by six weeks. Like, Come on. And so a year and a half later, um, but we started doing that because we didn't want to go into debt. We carry debt as a church. Some, we've been working diligently over the years to eliminate that. And I'm so thankful for our leadership that has made decisions that help us to accomplish that goal even faster and faster. And we'll share more with you about that in January when we get to our annual business meeting. But we're so excited for what God has been doing. So we put some envelopes back there and we said we're going to go $1 to $300 every envelope had kind of a consecutive number on there. And then when all the envelopes were gone, we were going to begin replacing the flooring. Now, again, it took a little bit longer than I expected, but it all happened exactly as God designed. And that's what we have to understand there. So as of last Sunday, all the envelopes have been taken. Now, here's the crazy thing. If you were here last Sunday morning, you saw there was a couple rows of envelopes back there, not all filled in, but a couple rows now, I noticed they were all gone last Sunday night before our evening service. I was getting ready to start the service. I looked back and I saw all the envelopes were gone. And I thought, huh, I wonder what happened there. And so our board, we talked about, we're going to reorder the envelopes. If you noticed, a lot of the dollar envelopes or the dollar amounts were like 200 and something. It was higher dollar amounts. And we thought, okay, let's reorder them back at $1 to our highest dollar amount. And then kids can get back involved. Because that was the coolest thing when we started this, seeing kids go over and grab a $2 envelope or a $4 envelope or a $6 envelope. And they were putting money in. Our junior church classrooms were grabbing envelopes and filling them up. And it was just so cool to see families getting involved in this and children. And so we thought, let's reorder them and we'll do that. So I assumed, and my mom told me never to do that, but I did. That's what happened. A couple of our leaders took the envelopes down that afternoon. We're going to reorder them and put them back up. So that's what I shared with our Sunday night crowd, that that's what I thought was happening. And so Monday morning, I'm made aware that uh, our financial secretary came in and she said, hey, she said, I don't know um, what this all means, but uh, there was a donation given and it just says envelopes. And that dollar amount fairly well matched up to what was on the wall. And so to me, I was blown away in that moment. I thought, I'm going to double check some things. Let me get a hold of some people. So I called a couple of the people that were doing the envelopes. Did you take them down? Did you take any down? No, no, no. Don't know what happened with them. No, no, no. And so as of last Sunday, the Lord laid on someone or a family or something's heart to take those envelopes down and do a one-time gift for the remaining balance of envelopes on the wall. And that is amazing. And, and I'm not going to dive into the dollar amounts of who gave what because I don't, I don't know that. But I will tell you that it was probably over $4,000. And, and you might think, well, wait a minute. What, how is, because God works on people's hearts in ways that we don't. 
And I don't know why God waited to that long. I mean, I would have loved it if he laid it on someone's heart to give, you know, 20 grand a year ago. I don't know. But it's in his time. And so now there are some still some envelopes out there. And if you have one on your refrigerator, I'm not looking at anybody. I don't know that you do. On the nightstand, you're like, it's been six months, honey. Maybe we should turn that back in. (laughs) If we haven't filled it by now, maybe, you know. But no, so if you have envelopes out there, we're still obviously still accepting envelopes. So, so we're not quite 100% with the envelopes coming back in. But we are so close. I mean, we're talking very small amount that is still out there. Which is a huge praise because, again, a year and a half, almost two years of work. You can drop that off at the Welcome Center, obviously, when you bring that back in. Now, I'm praising the Lord for how he worked in and through these funds to improve the flooring of the building because our desire was to do it prayerfully the right way and not go into debt. And we're so thankful the Lord blessed that decision. When all the envelopes are returned, we would have raised and will have raised $45,000. Yeah, you can definitely applaud that. And so when we started estimating how much everything would cost, And if you haven't noticed, this is a very, very large building, lots of flooring. We started kind of estimating what things might cost. We hoped that that dollar amount, based on some very rough estimations from two years ago, would cover almost everything needed. However, many, if you notice, things have gotten a little expensive over the last two years. Have you noticed that? I'm not saying it's anyone's fault specifically. Just saying. So uh, there is going to be, uh, that's not going to 100% cover every flooring material, everything we need, everything in the building. However, two years ago, we started estimating and we said, okay, this should get us very close to what we would need. With the increase of material costs, labor costs, and things of that nature, we still, with the 45000 we are able to redo the flooring in the office, little storage room, the nursery, all the hallways, lobby, gym, and buy all the materials needed for the rest of the building. So the only thing that we're going to spend beyond the 45,000 is relatively going to be mostly connected to labor of just getting it actually installed. Now here's the praise, you ready for this? Because the Lord has been blessing so much through the year, just normally, Our general offering of what you have been giving, not taking away from any responsibilities, any other debt, you know, trying to get rid of debt. We're making, by the way, we're making double payments on some things. We're getting debt paid down, not taking away from any of that, not dipping into our savings account, not taking away from any other thing because you have been blessing and God has given us a surplus in our just everyday checking account. We are able to, with that money, take care of all the rest of it without having to raise any more funds or any debt. And so I just want to say, yes, absolutely. I want to say thank you because what we're seeing is an overflow of that personal walk with Christ. And it's not always tied to finances. And so this is why, if you notice, if you've been here for a while, you know, I very rarely preach on finances or giving or tithing. Because here's my thought. If we emphasize a walk with Christ and what that looks like, the overflow of that will be surrendering our time, talents, and tithe to the Lord. I don't need to try to convince someone to give something or do something. That's the Lord's job. And so to me, I'm just so thankful for how the Lord has been blessing. Also, you will notice that if you go down here to the nursery, that's already done. The office down here, the main big part of the office and the small storage room, that was done Thursday and Friday. Because we decided as we saw the Lord blessing and we were so close, we said, you know what? We're going to step out by faith. And we know the Lord's going to solve this thing. So we're going to start the process just little by little. Also, today at 4.30, some guys are going to meet here. And if any guys are able to and available to, we're going to be ripping the carpet out of the gym because that's getting done this week. And so I'm just... Praise in the Lord. 4.30, guys. If anyone's interested, just throwing that out there. Any guys that are interested. If we can get a, maybe 10 guys here, that's a big room. If you've ever never walked in there, looked around at the carpet, oh, this would be easy. That's a lot of carpet. It's got to get pulled up. And so if you're available, great. If not, no worries. But 4.30 today. But we're going to get that done this week. 
And then just as the Lord allows us to, we're going to be doing that over time, installing the other flooring as we can over time. Now, the reason we're not just going to go ahead and just pay everything up front all at once and we're going to do it over time is really kind of two, two reasons. One, we really do not want to take any time off of any services. So we don't want to not have Wednesday night or Sunday services while we're doing the flooring. So our goal as a leadership is we're going to try to do this where we never miss a service. And here's why. You might think, well, wait a minute, but we can do some of the rooms. If you've not been out on a Wednesday night, you need to because literally every room is being used on Wednesday night. Every classroom has children, adult ministry, teen ministry. There's something going on in every room. And so we are unable to just say, oh, we just won't use this room. And we'll use a different, we can't do that. So we need to be careful there. The other thing is that we do want to be wise with the money that we have because, you know, living as an adult in this world, unexpected expenses come up. And if there was to be a major repair, we want to make sure that we're not just depleting a bunch of funds to get everything done up front and then install it over time anyway. So we're going to kind of do it, again, as wise as we can. Now, I wanted to spend time sharing all of this because God has done all of this for one reason. And many of you know what that reason is. It's not so that North Goodland can look really good when you walk into North Goodland. God is doing all of this so he is glorified. So we sit back and think, man, God, that's what you can do. And I talked about this on Wednesday night. The way he put us in this building was all of his hand. And we're talking 20, 20 years ago. How did we, a little country church in the middle of a cornfield end up building this big, beautiful building, having 400 people show up on the first Sunday How does that happen? Because God was in it, and he was glorified. And so I'm so thankful for what God continues to do in our ministry here. More than this, we have seen the Lord bless our church, honestly, as long as I have been here in in North Goodland, or at North Goodland in various ways. Specifically, in the last few years, we have seen his presence be revealed in powerful, powerful ways. This Wednesday night, we're actually going to dive into what the Lord has been doing, even more specifically, and how he's using us for his glory, for good works that magnify him and exalt Christ. And so I hope you can join us as we dive into some specifics on that. But I just want to tell you quickly, in the last couple of weeks, I had somebody that that we were able to visit with and stuff, and, and she's not able to be here for health reasons, recovering from something. And we were, Sandra and I were sitting there talking with her, and she said multiple times, She said, I don't think people know how much I miss church. And I said, well, you know, we're online and then you can watch online. Have you ever tried that? And and she's a little later on in years. And so that wasn't real super familiar with her, which is fine. And and she said, well, my daughter kind of showed me. She said, I watched a little bit of it, but I was like, that's not, that's not going to church. That was her words. That's not going to church. Now, if you have to do it, I understand. But her point was, I want to be with God's people. I mean, tears were coming to her eyes, and, she, and she's only missed a few weeks. And she's like, I just want to be there. I love the church. And so I just want to let you know, that's not because of me, our praise band, although it is a pretty amazing praise band. I hear these, some of these songs on the radio, and I'm like, good try. We got, we got you. Somebody asked if we can record a song or something. Somebody told me, can you guys record that? And I was just like, watch out now. We don't need... All I need is Pastor Keith out here with, like, a a merch table, like, T-shirts and, like, CDs. Buy two. Get one free. Like, it's great. But it's not because of those things. You understand that that it's God working in all of us to show that Christ, like, love and care and compassion and to listen to when people are hurting and share God's word with that so that God can be glorified through all of that. And so I just wanted to take this time this morning and to share all of that with you. And I pray it's been an encouragement to you. I pray you've been um, praying over. And that's the other thing, too. I know so many people have been praying for the funds for the floors. I've gotten texts over the last two years, like, I'm praying God will do a great work. And I want you to know your prayers are being, have been, and will continue to be answered. And so thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support and all of it. All right? Well, let's do this. I want to pray. Then we're going to move into our message this morning. And then see where the Lord would lead us from there. But I want to pray this morning. Father, we thank you for just all that you're doing. Not just in this specific thing that we unpacked this morning. Lord, some for informational reasons to make sure the church is on the same page. But also, Lord, just as a time to praise you. 
And I know you're in all of this, but Lord, you're in so much more. And Lord, the way you're using our church, and Lord, if we're being honest, the way you're using this location, that we're able to be a blessing to so many in our community through weddings and funerals and being able to provide space for that, for the homeschool co-op that uses our building through the school year, for the many ministries that happen here every single week, for the way you're using this church to reach this community with the love and truth of the gospel. Lord, as you're using these individuals to give generously towards missions and also what's going on here. And so, Lord, we know that we can sometimes get a little impatient, a little anxious, uh, a little overzealous, and we start thinking things should go a certain way, but I pray we would know that you are the one that's working in all of this. And so I pray, Father, that you have been and will continue to be glorified in this service. Lord, all of this is for you. If it ever becomes about anything else other than you, I pray you'd shut the doors. We might as well just turn the lights off and go home because nothing else satisfies, nothing else fulfills, nothing else is is like you, Lord Jesus. And so I pray that we would think about the words we sang this morning in that song, that there is no other name but the name that is Jesus. You are the name of salvation. You are the one that has come to us and extended the gospel to us through yourself, through your sacrifice. And as Pastor Keith prayed, we don't need to clean ourselves up because we can never get clean enough. We just need to come to the one that extends grace, mercy, forgiveness when we repent and turn from our sins. So Father, help us this morning to be in, in just an agreement with you and your word. Whatever you desire to do, I pray we'd respond in faith and favorably. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to kind of move into the rest of our time this morning, um, I do want to share my reason for this message this morning is really to give a hope, I pray, to all of us as we walk in this world. Um, Many of us understand that it's difficult to navigate the world in which we live. It's difficult to live in this culture today as a follower of Christ. There's so many things that push and pull and weigh on us. And to set the scene of how we can simplify maybe a way that we can navigate day to day this life in which we live, I want to share some observations that we have all seen more and more common in our world today. These are things that you have seen or you've heard and you recognize the foolishness, even the intrinsic sinfulness of these things the wickedness, or even just the sheer confusion, just the the misunderstanding of truth and real purpose in life and what we're here to do. So I just want to share some simple observations. These are not exhaustive, but these are some things that came to my mind this week as I was preparing this message. And you could share many, many more, I'm, I'm sure. But some things, some observations that we can make is that, or things we are told, maybe as a better way to say it, we are told in our culture today, to do all that we can do to fight climate change as a threat to humanity, while children are literally being killed in the womb. We are told that crime is permissible if it is committed by the right person for the right reason. We are told to accept everyone's view of truth as absolute, but then deny absolute truth. We are told that science must be our guiding light regarding certain diseases, and yet science is denied in regard to a person's gender. We are told masculinity is toxic, and yet denying biblical manhood leads to men behaving in toxic ways. We are told that a man can compete against a woman in any sport, and yet There are no such distinctions, and if a woman ever speaks out, she is considered the problem. We live in a confused time. And that's just a snippet of what confusion sounds like in our world today, and you could go on and on. So how do we describe a time like this? How do we look at our world and conclude what is going on? Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. I'm going to start with one verse, and... It's a simple verse, but if you'd like to turn there with me, you may. Isaiah 5 and verse 20. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 492. Page 492. So Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. 
I'll give you just a moment to get there. Again, it's just one verse. But I believe this verse encapsulates, describes the society in which we live today, the world and the culture in which we live today, and the confusion that we see all around us. It's a popular passage. Many of you have probably found yourself quoting or thinking of this verse in the last couple of years, maybe many years. But Isaiah 5 and verse 20, page 492 in the Bibles provided, the word of God says this. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is, this is a, a warning from Isaiah. There is, there is serious concern for those that live their lives with this mindset, that call evil good. Darkness is actually light, and bitter is actually sweet. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just that evil is good, dark is light, and bitter is sweet. They also take it one step farther and say, no, no, no. Also, good is actually evil. Light is actually darkness, and sweet is actually bitter. So it's not just declaring that evil is good. It's actually then declaring, and by the way, definitive good, the things that you define as good, that's actually now considered evil. To tell someone that they're in their sin, as we all are, and desperately need a Savior who is outside of the circumstance, who stepped into the circumstance by taking on the flesh, all God, all man, died on a cross after a sinless life, buried and rose again, and then anyone who confesses him as Lord, repenting of their sin, receives eternal life, completely forgiven of all sin, and made a new creature. To tell someone that is now actually evil. But really, is this a new problem that we in America in the last 10 years have been experiencing? Absolutely not. This is not an American problem. This is not a 2023 problem. This is a Genesis 3 problem. Ever since Genesis 3, Isaiah 5.20 is true. Because in every group, every generation, every nation, since Genesis 3, there have been those who have definitively said, nope, nope, that's not good anymore, that's now evil. That's not light, that's actually darkness. And this darkness, that's actually now light. And so while it's always been true in human history that we, as a human race, no matter our skin tone, background, language groups, people groups, none of that, we've all seen that true time and time and time again. But it strikes me that in our culture specifically, and so we understand that big picture, but in our specific culture, I feel as though we're starting to get to a point where it's always been there, but in the last so many years, it's now being more and more prominent. And as far as it's just in your face. And as a follower of Christ, what do we do about that? It's frustrating. Listen, it's, it's, it makes you angry, doesn't it? It gets you frustrated when you see some of the things that goes on in our world today. But not because we hate anyone or angry at any one person. The Bible says you don't war against flesh and blood. But we see it as followers of Christ that we live in a fallen world. And there's things happening in our world. And people are making decisions. And we're just scratching our head like, how could you think that's a good idea? I just don't understand. And by the way, when we sin, the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, how do you not understand? Why do you keep doing this? Don't you get that's not good? So even as followers of Christ, in, in a lot of ways, if we're not careful and we're not walking in Christ and abiding in him, we can even fall victim of living practically where what we think is good is actually evil and evil good. But we understand that in our culture, it's magnified. It's on a larger scale. We all struggle with this, but there's things that are happening that are just wicked things. Insane things that we just see and we know God's word speaks against. So how do we live in that kind of a world? What's the answer to this confused world? If you want to take notes, you can go on the app. There's notes available. Uh, just go under media, sermon notes, and then today's date. I'm just going to give you, honestly, as I was just thinking this week, Lord, what would you have me to share after we share kind of the praise time? Lord, where would you have me to go? And 
Just some things that I was hearing over the last couple of weeks have been really just weighing on me. Some of the craziness in our world today. And not in a way as though I'm looking down on any one person. I'm just saying, as a culture, the things that are being encouraged, it's sinful. And so what's the answer for that? How do we navigate through that? Well, I believe there's many more than this, but at least three truths to living in this confused world. So the first thing is, and you don't even need to turn there because it's a familiar passage, but we need to speak truth in love. One of the truths that we need to understand is we speak truth in love. Ephesians 4 and verse 15, Paul says this, we need to speak truth in love. We must, must speak truth in a confused world, but that truth must be spoken in love. Not our understanding of love, not hyper-emotional love, not Not any kind of understanding of love beyond God's word's definition of love, discerning love, which means saying harsh things at times that those things need to be said. And we talked about this in our men's Bible study, that that God is an amazing father. He is the greatest example of a father because he is perfect. But as a father, sometimes all driven with the love for his children, he speaks encouraging words, right? Right? You ever do something for the Lord, not to get the credit for it, but you're serving him some way and you're ministering. And and when you get done, maybe you're tired, right? You're just kind of wore out from whatever it was, but the Holy Spirit is just, man, just cheering you on. Like that was awesome. You did great. Now I know you think, whoa, 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 God does that? Of course God does that. Of course he's going to encourage us. If the word of God and the apostles encouraged us, why would God not encourage us? Of course he does it page after page in scripture. But it's not, you did great, you're awesome. It's, you did great, you were used by me. So it's not this pride thing, it's this boasting in Jesus thing. But then there's other times where we don't get it right. And what does our good father do by the work of the Spirit through the word? He speaks a word of correction. And he draws that to our mind. Hey, hey, that was wrong. And you know that was wrong. That's how the Holy Spirit speaks to me because he's got to be really firm because I'm not, you know, always the brightest in the room to pick up on these things. And he's like, hey, no. Sometimes the spirit just says no, and I love it. Some, some fathers, they sit down and go, let me speak to you about the reality of the situation, the decisions you're making. My dad was a lot simpler. No. But can I? No. And that's what the spirit, to me, that's how the spirit speaks to me. Like sometimes the spirit just needs to say, no, stop it. There's an old skit, right? Stop sinning. Just stop it. Stop sinning. That's what the Spirit sometimes has to do. Why? Not because God is mad at us, but God loves us. And when we give in to sin and we allow ourselves to be controlled by sin in a season or in a decision, it brings negative consequences. And his love as a father to us is to guard us from those things because he wants the actual best for us, not the best that we think we want for ourselves. So he says, sometimes great words of encouragement and other times great words of correction and discipline because he's a father who loves us. And that's the example we see as we speak truth to others in this world. Not that we're condemning them as as though God can only condemn and he knows their heart, but we speak truth to say, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that saying, saying, I want you to know, God loves you. He died on a cross for you. Your sin carries a consequence as all of our sin does, separation from him in hell. Would you repent and turn from your sins and trust Christ? See, we can speak truth. And I know today in our culture, that's not popular, but that doesn't matter because it doesn't change because it's the word. I don't care what popularity says about what we're supposed to say and can't say. No, this is the truth of God's word. Do we got to be spiritual jerks to communicate our point? No. We've got to name call and insult people and try to tear people down. Of course not. But we speak truth in love. And there's so many Christians that are struggling, either not speaking truth in all love, not discerning love, or they're doing nothing but speaking truth, their understanding of truth, which means condemning people, making fun of people, name calling people, getting on social media and ripping people. All of that, well, that's going to do a lot to draw people to the love of Christ. You say, but I'm angry. I understand you're angry and frustrated, but be careful. Be angry and sin not, Paul says. We don't sin in our anger. We can get frustrated when the holiness of God is attacked and God's creation is suffering, but be guarded in how you respond. 
And we need wisdom here and speak truth in love. Zechariah 8.16 says it this way. These are the things which you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace at your gates. You see, speaking the truth hurts when it comes from the form of correction. But again, the truth that hurts is the same truth that brings lasting alleviation and a healing balm of peace. We speak truth. We make wise judgments from God's word on the direction of the Holy Spirit. We pray for wisdom. And when that happens, we, I know there's going to be people that are going to be offended, upset, hurt. By the way, God speaks truth to me. I don't always like to hear it. You ever been in a prayer time with the Lord or a time in his word and you come across a verse and you read it and he convicts you and you go, I didn't want to hear that. Who are you? You don't know. But we have to remember that all of these things are for his glory and our blessing. Speak truth, Zechariah says. Judge with truth and judgment for peace at your gates. How do we have peace in our culture? We speak truth. We make wise judgments. And I know that we can do those things individually, but then what about the rest of the culture? What about the rest of the people around us? So we speak truth in love, but secondly, we preach Christ. The greatest truth that we can communicate is Christ. John three sixteen. go there with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John three sixteen. I know where so many of us are familiar with, obviously, the most famous or maybe what was considered one of the most famous verses even in our secular culture. I feel as though that's changed some in our culture. It used to be John 3.16. And now I believe it's the verse from Matthew. Judge not, lest you be judged. That seems to be the verse that our culture loves to quote. And yet, having no idea of what they're actually quoting. John 3.16. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever. Now, oh, not me, preacher. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the sin I've committed. You don't know how far I've gone from what God had me. You have no idea. God could never. Yes, he can. But God could never forgive me. Yes, he can. But my sin is so great. Yeah, his grace is greater. He can forgive you. When God wasn't playing, when he said whosoever. And neither was Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he said for whosoever shall call upon him, the Lord shall be saved. Anyone can be saved. Anyone can come to Christ if they would repent of their sins, trust in Christ, and believe that he is Lord. It's about him doing the saving work. As Pastor Keith said again, I'm so thankful for that comment in his prayer, that it's not us who cleans ourselves up. Anyone, the Bible says, can be saved if we would repent and turn from our sins and receive Christ. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we stop there, but we need to keep reading. Verse 18, he that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. What is the answer for living and navigating this confused culture? We speak truth in love, and that means we preach Christ. This is a foundational teaching and understanding to seeing others come to understand why we were created and for whom we were created. We need desperately Christ to rescue us and to save us from our sin, its penalty and its power, to change and form our lives and behaviors into the image of Christ. Through Christ, we are made alive. We are set free from sin, free from all of its confusing and contorting and perverting effects on us. We will clearly see this life and the world as it really is through Christ. You want an answer for a confused culture? It's Jesus. You want a solution for when you're feeling confused and torn and wrestling against the temptation? It's Jesus. It's Christ. As the Christian would say, it's remembering and identifying my true identity in Christ, my position in Christ, who I am in Christ, and I don't need that temptation. I don't need that sin. I don't need that thing. I'm satisfied in Jesus. For the unbeliever, it's understanding that nothing will satisfy them apart from Christ, and only his salvation will bring peace and clarity of mind. You see, through Christ, we are 
alive and set free from sin. Our only hope for real and lasting change is found in Christ. Paul makes this clear in Colossians 1, 21 through 23, in which he says, And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death. In order, why would he do such a thing? In order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. He says, remember that stuff you used to do? That's not who you are anymore. That there's lasting change in Christ. Don't give in to those things. But what that tells me is all of those who don't know Christ, they're still living in that. That confusing and wicked way of thinking. Natural is all they know. And I don't say that as a way of I'm better, you're better, none of us are better. We just know Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven, but we still need him desperately. So we preach Jesus. Why? We preach the truth of Christ because it brings lasting change, clarity of mind, the confusion, and all that the sin brings will be taken away. And then lastly, that leads to us as followers of Christ putting into practice our faith, which means do good. We speak truth in love, we preach Christ, and we do good. It's it's not that simple, but it can be simplified that way. 3 John 1, 11. I'm going to turn there quickly. 3 John, if you're confused on where that is, it's after 2 John, which follows 1 John. There you go. 3 John, it's a small letter, only 14 verses. But verse 11 of 3 John, absolutely love this, what John says. And again, he simplifies it. 3 John 11, there's no chapter 1, it's just only the one chapter. So we would say 3 John verse 11. Beloved, who's he speaking to? Believers. Beloved, which that's one of my favorite titles that God gives us, amen? You are the beloved of God. Because of Christ. Because you're his creation. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, wait a minute, but I don't do good perfectly. In that context, you have to go to 1 John 3, where he talks about this idea of habitual sin. It's not saying you're never going to do anything evil. It's saying that our lives in Christ should be centered on doing the things that honor him, not doing the things that please self or sin of the world. None of us are perfect. What he's saying is those that, when he says, those that do evil have not seen God, those are those apart from Christ who their life is, is defined by sin. It's, it's all their life is. It's unrepentant, unconvicted, habitual sin. We are told in all of Scripture, but again, even here in Third John, that our lives as followers of Christ should be full of good works, not evil deeds. We are a new creature, Second Corinthians 5.17, and we no longer must give in to those desires of the flesh. John says not to follow that which is evil. Don't follow that which is evil. Don't follow those who are apart from Christ. Don't follow the culture of the world. Don't follow those things. Don't follow those things that are evil. The word follow means to imitate anyone. Which, again, he's saying, don't imitate those that are evil that don't know God. That's really what he's saying. Why would you imitate as a Christian those who don't even know Christ? Don't do that. And by the way, tons of Christians are doing that. I've done that at times. It's a, it's a rebuke to us. Don't do that. This is Psalm 1. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful or walk in the way of the sinners. Don't let that be your source of wisdom and guidance. No, 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 no. Rather, go to God. Go to him. So, so we don't run to the world for these things. We don't imitate the things of the world as followers of Christ. We don't give in to those desires. 
And I believe the message to the early church is the exact same as it is to us today. When we see evil happening all around us, we must not imitate those things, but be a follower or imitator of Christ. 1 John 2, 6. You're right there. I wasn't going to turn here, but we've got a couple minutes. Let's turn there. 1 John, which as we just alluded to in our little Bible study there, one book back, because you guys really under, you broke that down so well. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. He that says he abides in him, in Christ, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. That verse should bring much conviction to the follower of Christ. Do you know what John's saying? You tell me you abide in Christ. You tell me you walk with Jesus. Okay, do you walk as he walked? Does your life look like his life? When he was on planet earth, do you, are you driven and motivated and consumed by the same things he was? If somebody looks at you, do they see Jesus? That's what John's saying. And I love the way he phrases that. You tell me you abide in Christ. You use the word, oh, I'm a Christian. Man, we got a lot of Christians in America today. I don't know how many followers of Jesus we have, but we got a lot of self-proclaimed Christians. Oh, I'm Christian. Oh, I'm Christian because I grew up in a Baptist church. I'm Christian because my parents are Christian. I'm Christian because I got baptized as a baby. I'm Christian because I give to the church. I'm Christian because I try to be a good person and I pray. None of that makes you Christian. Only Jesus makes you Christian. Personal faith in Christ. John says, if you abide in him and you tell me you abide in him, do you walk in him? Which John is also the author of the Gospel of John. Same John here. And when you think about that, then you come to the conclusion of, wait a minute. Isn't it John who recorded for us, John 15, abide in me and my words abide in you. So how do we walk as Jesus walked? By being better? By doing better? By performing better? No. By allowing the word of God, by the moving of the spirit to dwell in us and us abide in the word. And by allowing that to take place, we will see a likeness to Christ, not because we're getting better, but because the Spirit of God is conforming us to the image of Christ and making us like Jesus as we abide in him. Through Christ, we are capable and equipped for good works. Those good works glorify the Lord, bless others, and bless ourselves. It is easy to get discouraged living in the world in which we live, but we must keep our focus on the Lord he is in control. And he is fulfilling his eternal purpose. It may be a confused world. Hear me now. It may be a confused world, but it is not a chaotic world. It might be a confused world, but it is not a chaotic world because it is never out of his control. So let's speak truth in love. Let's preach Christ and let's do good. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we know that it's a very simple message. But if we're being honest, the application of these things is not very simple at all. Because, Lord, we struggle. We're in the flesh. We battle with our weakness. We struggle against sin. We live in a fallen world with sin all around us, temptation all around us, on the screens in front of us, on the screens, on the devices that we carry around with us in our pockets, on our phones. We live in a confused, perverted, contorted version of the world in which the garden was intended to be, Lord. And it's not out of your control, but when sin entered in, in Genesis 3, there was division, division between a husband and a wife, division between parents and their child, between brother against brother, division between us as the human race and creation around us, division between us and you. And all of this is the result of sin. But yet by your moving through your grace in ways I will never understand, but it's okay, I don't have to you can bring a resolution out of this. And you are working for that. You are doing that. That through the gospel, there is 
a reconciliation that happens between us and you through Christ. There can be reconciliations between us and others in our life, our spouse and our children. We can see the world as you really want it to be seen as a beautiful and wonderful display of your glory, majesty all around. And Lord, I I truly believe that that as followers of Christ, we should be the greatest stewards of what you've given us, including our time and our gifts and talents, our finances, our relationships, and even this world. But Lord, we can see even in that, that we were given this opportunity to, to steward this creation, to be wise with the resources. But yet, Lord, even in that, it's been, it's been contorted, it's been perverted, it's been twisted to where rather than us just maintaining a a right view of this world and caring for it, now we've been told that we are supposed to elevate it above ourselves, even above you, that we worship the creation instead of the creator. Lord, it's just confusing. And yet in Christ, nothing could be more clear. We can see, we can understand by the moving of your spirit through your word. And so I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as followers of Christ in our weaknesses, in our imperfections, and in our failures, to cry out to you to receive grace, to be restored and picked back up. If we find ourselves imitating evil deeds, I pray that we'd repent of that this morning, finding the grace that's there for us. And Lord, that we as followers of Christ would speak truth and love, Lord, to our neighbors, but Lord, also to ourselves. We want to speak truth to other people, but we struggle at times to speak those truths back to ourselves when we know we need to change. So help us to be genuine, not hypocritical. But Father, thank you for speaking truth to us when we need it through your word. May we speak truth in love this week. Can we preach Christ this week, Lord, in a way that would be effective, that people would come to know Christ, or at least they would know the gospel, Lord, because we can't save anyone. We pray for everyone to be saved, but we know it's up to you and how they're responding to you and their hearts. And Lord, and you're working all of that out. But I pray we would not carry a burden we weren't meant to carry that we don't save anyone. We just share the faith. We preach Jesus. And then Lord, help us to do good as an example of that walk with Christ. And again, Lord, for the one that's struggling, would they repent this morning and turn back to you? For the one that doesn't know you, would they come to know you this morning, receiving the gift of salvation and do it all for your glory as we worship you. Father, we thank you for this, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Whatever the Lord is doing, would you come? If you've been frustrated, angry about the world we live in, the things we're seeing, and maybe you're allowing that anger to push you to some things and think some things that are not the way you should be thinking, not the way you should be acting, would you come and pray and say, Lord, give me wisdom in this. Help me to speak truth and love and preach Christ. Whatever God is doing, would you come and pray and seek him this morning as we sing in a song of worship?